Those of you who were with us last week, you know that we were in John 15, and that's where we're going to pick up, right where we left off, last Sunday. So please turn with me to John 15. And as I look out, I'm hoping that you experienced a lot of uh, thankfulness this past week. And as I look out, I understand that there's at least four that are not with us right now, and for good reason. They're in Senegal taking the gospel message that we uh, preach from here. They've taken it with them to the northwest uh, country there in Africa. And they're intent on sharing the gospel as well as visiting with those who have already received the gospel to encourage them. So I'd like to just take some time at the very beginning of our message right now just to pray for them. I wonder if you'd pray with me for that. Father, thank you for the gathering that we have today. It's a special time for us to think of the Lord's Supper, that we get to participate. We'll be able to open up the Bible here in a little while. But we are mindful that there are are four of us. Uh, They're a part of our family, and they are over in Africa right now, uh, sharing the gospel, uh, looking to encourage others, praying with others. And we pray that you would just grant them success that they would find favor in the people of the villages there, and they would be open to hearing. You would give them an unusual wisdom to know how that they can minister to different people at different times. Lord, we pray that this would be another step in in the long line of seeing a church established there. We pray for their physical health, that you'd keep them strong and healthy, give them good rest in the evening. And then we pray that as they may experience some spiritual warfare, that you would just keep their hearts encouraged. You would keep them united with one love, and there would be a boldness about them to share the gospel. Thank you that there are representatives of our family over there doing just that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't picked up already, my voice is not what it usually is. I think I I sound worse than I actually feel, uh, but I'm going to preach as long as I can, and if my, my voice fades, it'll be a very short message. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Well, if you were with us last week, Roman just referenced this a little bit at the beginning. It's that great passage about abiding, the great privilege that we have in abiding in Jesus. And so we hit on some of these themes in the first 11 verses of John 15. And that we said that if you were to depict our relationship with Jesus, what would it look like? And Jesus provided an answer to that when he gave us actually a a picture of a vine and branches as it relates to a grapevine. But I'm just providing a picture, and last week I provided a picture of an apple tree or an apple tree branch. And I said in the same way, I think this is what Jesus' thoughts were, in the same way that a branch is absolutely committed and dependent on the vine or the trunk of a tree, we are to be committed or dependent upon Jesus. And while we might not be able to control the fruit of our lives, we have a responsibility to abide in Jesus. And so we saw in this picture in John 15, the first 11 verses, this picture of how there is this vine dresser who is the father, 
You might remember last week I had my son Elijah with a big old branch up here and I went and I began to prune some of those branches because that is what the vine dresser does. He is all about seeing fruit increase. And we said abiding is like remaining or staying or hanging out with. And so we use this picture, not mine, but from another pastor of how a tea bag rest in a cup of hot water. And as a result, the the elements of the tea mix with the hot water. And, And suddenly you see that these two were made for one another. We said it's not enough for us to dip in and out of church or dip in and out of the Bible, but what we are responsible for is to remain connected to Jesus. We are to root our lives in who he is. And this is the great delight that we have. Now, we learned also last week that what the fruit is. In the same way that an apple tree bears apples, a pear tree bears pears, a Christian has this Jesus tree that we are to be connected or abide in, that we will bear Christ-likeness. And at the top of that fruit is this idea of love. That if we are truly abiding in Jesus, think, of, think with me about the fruits of the Spirit, what's the first one? Love, right. So that carries into this morning's message, which is really just part two of what we heard last week in John 15. This is what it says, beginning in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So as we look at this passage today, those loved by Jesus are to love one another. Look again there at verse 12. This is my commandment. Now this is not the first time we've received this commandment. In John 13 verse 34, we saw it there again. But now in the context of abiding in Jesus, he expresses to us that one of the fruits of this will be a love that we have for one another. This is a command, it says here. Now, there's a great story. It's not in the Scriptures, but it's told of a historian of the author of the Gospel of John. It says of him that when this John was really advanced in age, he had his own little disciples or own students And these students, from time to time, would bring John to a group of people to convey a message. And they would have to carry him. He was so weak. And when they brought John to this large gathering of people, he would always preach the same message. These five words. Little children, love one another. Well, you know, you bring this guy to enough Bible conferences, you would think he would mix up his message a little bit, but he kept saying the same thing whenever they would bring him to a large gathering, little children love one another. And one day they asked this John, John, why is it that you keep saying the same thing? And John responded, because it is the commandment of the Lord, and the observation of it alone is sufficient. And isn't that true, that if we are loving one another, all these other commands fall under that. And so there is this fruit, 
of the life that is abiding in Jesus, that we are to prioritize love. This word love here is not a fleeting emotion. It is not one that comes and goes with inspiration, but it is a deep decision. It's this agape love to love even through difficult times. As we read there again in verse 12, it says to love one another. And who are these one another people? Sometimes we think of this love one another that has to do with a perfect stranger. And certainly it would. But I think this love one another begins in the home. Husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, we are to love our husbands. We are to love our children's children. We are to love our parents and children. Many of you are out right now, but we're even to love our siblings, our brothers and sisters. This is what we are, You say, it says here, commanded to do. Now, this command in verse 12 is done a little bit different. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another, but as I have loved you. You see, Jesus is both the standard and the source of our love. This morning, in a couple of minutes, I'm actually going to do something I don't know that I've personally ever done. We're going to work through this passage of Scripture together. And as we work through it, we're actually going to pause and take the Lord's Supper together, right in the middle of the message, because I think the verses lend itself to do that. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper. And then we'll come back and we'll finish this passage of Scripture together. Let's consider now, how is it that Jesus has loved his disciples? Or how Jesus has loved us? Because this is how we are to love one another. The first thing we see here is love shares oneself with another. Look at what it says here in John 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my mother, I have made, rather all I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So when you think about friend, or you think about how we love one another, one of the ways that we do that is we open up and we share ourselves with another person. And when we hear the word slave or servant in our day, with our American history, it has a negative connotation as well as it should. But in the New Testament, it wasn't necessarily so. Servants or slaves, in some places, were treated quite well. Now, there are other times where they were treated like a tool, like a plow or an ox. But there were other times where this servant would have won and loved the favor of their master. In fact, there were times where servants would have had access to their master even more so than a general or a statesman or an advisor. They would have been able to get to their master even going into the bedchamber before anyone else. So the disciples would have known this. Oh, this is what Jesus is talking about. We are now graduating from seminary here with Jesus. And we no longer need to call him professor or rabbi. 
He is allowing us access to refer to him as our, our friend. This is really significant. But it says there in verse 15 that Jesus didn't hold anything back from what he taught his students. It says there, But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Friendship is one in which you can open up and you can share your dreams and aspirations with another person. If you were to have a desire to to know a celebrity or one that is famous, I'm trying to think of an example, and and maybe some of you know a pastor named Alistair Begg. And, And here is one that has a lot of influence, has a radio ministry, a church in the Cleveland area. And let's say you had an opportunity to know him. Well, because he has so many demands on himself, you would only get to know of Alistair what he chooses to reveal himself. Otherwise, you would have no access to him. In the same way, Jesus chose to disclose mysteries of the faith to his disciples. And he has done the same for us as followers of Jesus too. He has availed himself. But not only this, then there's an opportunity to have some mutual interest together. Having availed himself, there's an opportunity for us. It says in verse 14, rather, yeah, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Having revealed himself to these disciples, these disciples now have a chance to say, you are important to me as I Obey what you have instructed me to obey. This is what friends do. They are absolutely committed to one another. Several years ago, you might know this man, Chuck Olson. He was released from prison. And he was speaking at an Ivy school. Now, this man was associated with President Nixon. And he kind of served as a fall guy during that Watergate scandal. And as Chuck Olson was speaking at an Ivy League school, there was a group of students that began heckling and interrupting his speech, shouting, how could you have defended President Nixon? Finally, Colson stopped his speech, looked at the hecklers and said, I defended him because he was my friend. And instantly the students were on their feet, applauding because Colson struck a nerve with that comment. He understood that in this wasteland of broken relationships in which we live today, every one of those students was longing to have at least one friend who would sacrifice on his or her behalf. Jesus is the one who is committed to us. And we, as we abide in him, have the opportunity to be committed and depend on him as well. We also see that we are not only mutually committed to him, but he is mutually committed to us. Look what it says in the second part of verse 16. We are to bear fruit that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. There is this blessing of abiding. There is this blessing of this friendship with Jesus that he hears us. 
We have access to the Father through him. And through this access, we have this promise of answered prayer. So the first thing we see about this love is Jesus is not only the source, but he's the standard of love, is that love shares oneself with another. The second thing we see here is love is granted, not earned. Look what it says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This is a stunning statement. In today, as well as the first century, if there was a young man that was aspiring to learn something, he would, well, he would have a a teacher or a university that he would pursue because that professor is well known in this school. And if I will study under that professor, then I will learn from him. I will enroll, therefore, in that school. But Jesus turns it around and he says this, You didn't enroll. You didn't seek me out. Rather, I sought you out. I came to you. You did not come to me. And it had nothing to do with performance. It had nothing to do with intellect. It had everything to do with grace and kindness towards you. Because you are saved by grace through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And as Jesus abided in the Father, we are to abide in Jesus. And as Jesus abided in the Father's love, we are to abide in Jesus' love. When we look around here this morning, we might say to ourselves, you know, there's not a lot of these characters that I would be willing to go on a family vacation with. And we might say, Isn't, shouldn't a church be people that are just like me and, and, and backgrounds that are like me and, and they're so natural to connect with? Not at all. What we need to have in common is Christ. He is the focus of our relationship. And that is not based on whether people are like us or not. It's whether we have Jesus in common. You know, sometimes we can think, I'll love that person if they'll do something for me. Or I will rekindle that relationship with another person if they will ask forgiveness for me. But that's not how it works, is it? That leads me to the third point of of demonstrating how God loved us. And that is, love proves itself by sacrifice. Now let's go look back at John 15, verse 13, where it says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. As we are abiding in Jesus, we are responsible to do that, and as the Spirit is working in our lives, producing this fruit of love for one another, We are to glance back consistently at how Jesus loved others and say, oh, that's the standard that I am to love one another. We are to make sacrifices for each other. Now, you may not have a lot this morning, but what you have, you are to make available 
for love of others. One boy in the New Testament had only five loaves and two fish. And Jesus took that and fed 5,000 men and, and countless others. I think of a man that I was introduced to this summer, at least his book, Richard Wormbrandt, in the book, Tortured for Christ. And how at one point, this Romanian pastor, who was under the, the, the crude rule of the Russian communists and found himself in prison. And one time he was so sick that the doctor said that he would die. Finally, in God's providence, medicine came through. And, and he was going to take that medicine to spare his life. But he decided to use that medicine for someone else that was in his own room so that their life would be spared. Friends, now that's a sacrifice. I read this week of an evangelist named E. Stanley that was a a world evangelist. And and he would go all around the world. At times he would preach in palaces, some very plush places. But one time he preached in a very poor area of Kentucky. And they didn't really have a hotel to put him up in. So there was this young family that says, you can stay with us, Evangelist Stanley. And they opened the door to this home, and it was just a one-room home, and all they had was one bed. And they said, Evangelist Stanley, you sleep over on the edge. The husband said, I'll sleep right next to you, and then the the wife will sleep right next to you. And that's what he had. And of all the places he stayed, Evangelist Stanley said that was such a picture of a sacrifice towards me that they were giving up, offering their own bed. Well, friends, as we think about the sacrifice, we think about Christ's sacrifice. I'd like our deacons to come at this time. It seems like a good spot for us to to think about this ultimate sacrifice that Jesus has had for us. As we think about the gospel, we think about this sacrifice as an example for us, that we are to share the gospel or share this love with others. Now, oftentimes, during the Lord's Supper, what we do is uh, the men hand out the elements, and we sit reverently, and we pray, and we think about the, our, our own sin and the magnificence of Jesus' sacrifice for us, and that is really appropriate. But I wonder if we could do something a little bit different today. As we are thinking about this passage here in John 15, as we're thinking about the Lord's Supper, I wonder if you would be willing to just interact a little bit with the people around you. In a little while, we're going to hand out the bread that represents Jesus' body. And as you are waiting for that bread to come, I wonder if you could do two things at once. Receive that bread, and then right around you where you're seated, tell of a time when someone sacrificed for you. And just speak about the significance of that sacrifice in your life. I know most of our children are out. This would be a great time for parents to be able to sit with their teenagers or if your children are with you and to be able to kind of take a lead here. Moms, maybe you're here with them as well and you could take a lead and just sharing some of these the importance of sacrifice that has been made in your life. And students, you have the opportunity to take your own turn and think about a time where someone sacrificed for you. Now, here at Highland Crest, we, if you are a born-again Christian, 
and, and you've already trusted Christ by repentance and faith, you are welcome to join us to participate in the Lord's Supper. We would say if you are aware of any known sin in your life that you need to get right and repent of, it's, it's probably best for you not to take the Lord's Supper at this time. In fact, I would encourage you not to. The Bible warns us about not taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. But if you're able to take that with a clear conscience today, we encourage you to, to join us in this. So here's what I'd like you to do. Look at this first talking point. Tell of a time when someone sacrificed for you. And so you can find someone next to you and uh, just share a bit of a story as these men hand out the bread, and then I'll lead us at that point, okay? When we think of sacrifice, it certainly pales in comparison to what Jesus has done for us. When we think about his body, as with a group of men this morning, we were thinking and reading about Jesus. His body got hungry, it got thirsty, weary from traveling, and needed sleep and refreshment. His body expressed love and compassion. He got angry. He wept. He was even troubled at the thought of the cross. But his sacrifice was putting obedience to the Father before his desires. And his sacrifice was putting a love for you over his own wishes. This is what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Let us take of the the bread that represents Jesus' body. Father, we thank you for Jesus coming in the body, taking the form of man, a servant, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we thank you for this example that is for us, but we thank you that through that we may have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want us to consider the, the blood. And as we are distributing the juice, here's something else that you can share with one another. What is the significance of Jesus shedding his blood for you? Now, there's kind of a, probably a quick answer to that. But here's what I really want you to think about. Are you depending on the blood of Jesus on a regular basis, a daily basis? If you're not, feel free to confess that. But if, but if you are, maybe you can share with your others there in your family or those around you the significance of Jesus' blood being shed for you. So in the same way now that we distribute the juice, why don't you talk with one another around you and just kind of flesh that out together. As we think about greater love, has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Clearly that is a picture of Jesus laying his life down for not only the 11 disciples, but all of those who have trusted Christ and repented of their sins that he calls us his friends, and that we are encouraged to do the same. We enter into this relationship when Jesus paid 
the ultimate price by shedding his blood so that our sins may be forgiven. It says in 1 John 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let's participate in the juice that represents Jesus' blood. Father, we thank you for the blood that was shed for us. Whereas the bulls and the lambs and the thousands of years prior were not sufficient, Jesus came to die once and for all that our sins would be forgiven, past, present, and future. We thank you for this wonderful sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, you may be seated. So that takes us from John 15 through verse 17. Now let's just consider the the remaining part of this passage. And one might say, oh, this is great. I think I left something. We are commanded to love one another as Christ loved us. So where will that lead us? And he closes out chapter 15 with this warning. Those who belong to Jesus will be hated by the world. Look what it says in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Or we could look at verse 20. Remember the word that I've said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Uh, first century historians, when they, when they retell the story of the early church, there's one by the name of Tactius. They said of the early Christians that they hated the world. They were hated for the crimes that these Christians were. And why? What were these crimes? It was that they were not participating in the drunkenness or the orgies of the first century. Rather, they they stood back and they abstained from those things and they did righteous things. I I heard this past week that it was not unusual during the first century for babies to be devalued. In fact, so much so that it was not unusual for, for a mother to give birth to a child and then take that newborn out to a dump and just leave that baby there to die. But Christians during the first century were known for hiding out at these places to look for those babies and to rescue those babies and to raise them. The first thing we see here is that the world hated Jesus first. And we will see that in full display as the chapters unfold throughout the Gospel of John, where they will arrest him. They will lie about him, and then they will crucify him. The second way that we see in which the world hates is that the world embraces its own, but hates those who are different. Look what it says in verse 19. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. 
Here's what we got going on in John 15. This is the picture of a relationship with Jesus to remain in him, to abide in him as a branch does to a tree. And as one is doing that, they are bearing fruit, namely love, loving one another. And this will result in hatred from the world. Now, you and I both know that we live in a post-Christian culture today. At one time, our nation was founded on Christian truths and principles. And yet we are seeing ourselves race towards an anti-Christian system with each passing day. None of us know what the future will hold, but what we can predict here is that as we are abiding in Jesus, as we are loving one another, that there will be a more and more hatred and resistance felt by the world towards us. The world embraces its own, but it hates those who are different, that speaks out about things that are different. You know, not necessarily in a, in a Christian way, but I, I learned recently how this was lived out in a man by the name of Jonas Hanaway. He was, in the 1700s, the one that, that developed the modern-day umbrella. And as this man would walk around with this portable roof while everyone else was getting rained on, people got irritated at this guy. Why? Because he was different. They would sneer. They would ridicule him. I heard of one time where they actually threw rocks at the guy. Why? Because he was different. And the world does not like different, particularly those who speak out against it and call what's sin as sin. And in another way that we see here is Jesus revealed sin to the world and he was hated for it. We don't like it when our sins are identified. And this is what Jesus did. He came and he proclaimed sin and he proclaimed the solution to that sin and it was exclusive through him. And that same phenomenon is still true today. People don't need to be called out. They don't like to be called out on their sin, but they need to be. And the one solution is through Christ. I heard this week of a of an African chief. It happened to be a woman. And as she went to visit the missionary's home, there was a a mirror that was attached to the tree. And as the chief looked into the mirror, she saw herself. And she saw how, how evil she looked with all the paint over her faces. She did not like what she saw. And she said to the missionary, what is wrong with this tree? Well, there's nothing wrong with the tree. It's a, it's a mirror. It shows you who you are. Well, I don't like this. I want to buy this mirror. The missionary said, well, it's not for sale. But she insisted to the point of actually purchasing that mirror, took it off the tree, and shattered it. And that's what the world has done with Jesus, right? He, he's proclaimed who he is. They don't want to hear that. We are given the responsibility to proclaim who he is and who we are. The world doesn't want to hear that. They want to shatter that. So we are to love, and we are met with hatred. And that leads us to the last couple of verses here of John 15. It says in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... 
the Spirit of the truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Those who are loved by and belong to Jesus are to bear witness of him. So here we are to abide in Jesus. We are to bear fruit as he enables. This fruit is love. We are to take our cues from how Jesus loved his disciples. That's how we are to love one another. According to the rest of John 15, this will be met with resistance and even hatred from the world. But yet we are given the privilege and responsibility of bearing witness of Jesus nonetheless. Let us do that. With the strength that he provides as we abide in him, may we do that. So as we think about an application for our passage today, I'm wondering, is there someone that you are struggling to love? You know, it's not, I don't think it's just enough to say, yep, there's a few different people that come to mind. I think what we are to do then is to kind of develop something that we're going to do about that. To be honest with you, a few weeks ago, we were working through John 13, and and we came across that passage that says, this new commandment I give to you, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. And as I thought of that passage in the days that followed, I thought, you know, there's, there's some areas in my life, there's some people in my life that I'm not loving as Christ has loved me. And I took a week or so of just saying, I really need to deal with that. And did a little study on that. And and God set me free through that. Is there people in your life that you're struggling to love? The solution is in abiding in Jesus. And as you are surrendering and you're confessing your sin and you're drawing from his strength, he will empower you to forgive others. We are not to take vengeance on those who have wronged us, but we are to love those who have wronged us. And maybe the Lord is leading you to do your own little prayer meeting over that, that he would enable you to love even those whom have hurt you. What I'd like to do right now is just give you a little time to pause to reflect on these things. This this gift that we have to love one another and then pursuing even when it may be met with resistance. Let's take some time to pray, and you pause, and you contemplate how the Lord would have you apply this message. Lord, it's been wonderful the last few weeks to be reminded of really the key to life is to abide in you. This is what we are created to do, to have a close relationship with Jesus, to draw from his strength, to be completely dependent on him. And may love just flow out of our bodies. So help us to love one another, even when they are different, even when we may be hurt by another person. Help us to love them, that you would be glorified, that it would prove that we are yours. And then, Lord, I pray there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't want to be liked. All of us want to be liked. But as we face the world, In the days, not only now, but in the days ahead, it'll be met with resistance. The Bible tells us here that it will be met with hatred. Help us to just be connected to Jesus, drawing from his strength and with boldness 
proclaiming the truth in love nonetheless. And Lord, there are people all over our city and county that need to hear the truth. And may we bear witness of this truth to them. As we think about the opportunity that awaits us during the Christmas season, may we see this as an opportunity to go out, to handle, to give out gospel tracts, to pray with people, to share with them the hope that we have found in this Savior who was born in a manger. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.